unexpected adventure. You never know what's going to happen on what starts out to be an average and routine day. How God might ambush you with an opportunity that you just didn't see coming. I remember I was a Christian working at a newspaper and it was at the end of a day I was packing up my things to get ready to go home. And I felt one of those nudgings of the Holy Spirit. It was, it was a distinct impression that I should go into the business office of the newspaper and invite my atheist friend to come to Easter services at our church. So I thought, well, if God really is nudging me to do this, something fantastic is going to happen. He's, he's probably going to repent right there. This would be wonderful. So I went over to the business office, and I walked in, and I looked around, and, oh, this was great. All I saw there was my friend behind his desk. So I said, hey, how you doing? He said, I'm doing good. I said, well, you know, Easter's coming up. He said, well, I don't believe that stuff. I said, yeah, I know you're an atheist, but, you know, there really is good evidence that Jesus did return from the dead. And he said, well, there is not. And I said, well, actually there is. And I talked to him a little bit about the evidence, and, he didn't seem very interested. And so finally I said, well, well, why don't you come to services at our church with my wife and I this Easter? I think you'd really enjoy it. And he said, oh, I don't want to come to church. And I said, well, do you ever think about God? He said, no. I said, do you have any questions about God? He said, no. And, you know, whatever I would say, whatever evidence I would present, whatever invitation I would offer, he would just turn down flat. So finally I kind of got embarrassed. And I was walking out. And I said, well, okay, you know, you know where I sit. So... You know, if you ever have any question, you know where I am. And I thought, well, what was that all about? Why did I feel so nudged to go invite this guy to Easter services when he was just shutting me down? And, you know, the truth is, to this day, he's still an atheist. And I used to wonder for several years, well, what was God up to that day? Well, several years later, by then I was a pastor at a church outside Chicago. And after a Sunday service, a man came up to me and said, can I just shake your hand and thank you for the spiritual influence you've had on my life? And I thought, well, that's very nice, but who are you? And he said, well, let me tell you my story. A few years ago, I lost my job, and I didn't have any savings. I, I thought I was going to lose my house. I thought I was going to lose everything. I didn't know what to do. So I called a friend of mine who runs a newspaper, and I said, do you have any work I could do? And he said, well, do you know how to tile floors? And I said, well, yeah, I tile my bathroom. I, I can tile floors. He said, great, we need some tiling done and some tiling repaired. And if you can do that, we can pay you some money. So he said, one day, not long before Easter, I was in the business office of the newspaper, and I was on my hands and knees behind a desk in the corner working on some tile on the floor, and you walked in the room. And I don't even think you saw me there because you just started talking to this guy who was sitting at his desk. And you start talking about Easter and the evidence for the resurrection. You start inviting him to church. And this guy just kept shutting you down. He wasn't interested. But I'm on my hands and knees behind this desk. And my heart's beating fast. I'm thinking, I need God. I need to go to church. So after you left the room, I picked up the phone. I called my wife. I said, we're going to go to church this Easter. She said, what? I said, no, we are. And we came to your church that Easter. And I came to faith. My wife came to faith. And our teenage son came to faith. And I just wanted to thank you. And I thought. That's unbelievable. I said, this is a new form of evangelism, ricochet evangelism. You know, you share your faith, it bounces off some hard heart. You never know where it's going to go. Friends, this is the unexpected adventure of the Christian life. Is that a great story? Just incredible. Well, I'm sorry, I realized after we carried these things out here, we put them like right in front of the screen for half of you, didn't we? So one of those things we didn't think through really well. Well, uh, we're in this series called uh, The Chair, and we've been using uh, this empty chair to represent the idea that there is a place in God's family or His kingdom for every man, woman, and child. But if we were to figuratively visit God's house today, we would discover that there are still a lot of empty chairs. 
And we've been talking about the fact that God has placed some of the responsibility on us to help fill those empty chairs. And so we've been talking about how it is we could live that out in our lives. And we've talked about two important words, invest and invite. Invest in people and invite them to follow Jesus. And last week we talked about how important it is for us to make sure that the gospel story of Jesus is easy and accessible to people so that they can find their way to Him. And we talked about how we are all partners in this process of helping people find their way back to God. Well, if you're a guest today, I want to say welcome to you, and I think you've picked a great day because I want to do a couple of things today. Number one, I want to talk about what goes to the very core of who we are as a church. And then uh, you're here on a special day because at the end of our time this morning, we're going to have the opportunity for people who are ready to step across the line of faith uh, to publicly declare their faith by being baptized. And we are going to do that right here at Mariner. And we don't get to do that very often because uh, it's kind of a process for that to happen. But we're going to get to share in that together today. So I'm glad you're here and that you get to be part of this. Uh, one of us in our family drives a, a, a old Buick LeSabre. And uh, we all kind of really love this old car that was given to us. And uh, so it's a long story, but uh, through a process of things, we somehow managed to lose one of the keys to that car. And so we only have one key to that car remaining. Now, I know that we should have immediately, right, gone out and had another key made. And every once in a while, I think we ought to do that, especially there have been a couple instances where we couldn't find the one key that we have, you know. And so there's been that moment where we, like, turned the house upside down trying to find that one key. Because you know what? Without the key, you can't open the car. Without the key, you can't start the car. Without the key, you can't drive the car. Without that key, pretty much the car becomes useless. If I were to ask people today, in fact, I've never asked anyone, who didn't say they wanted to go to heaven. And if I were to ask you today, do you want to go to heaven? You'd say, sure, I want to go to heaven. But you know what? A lot of people seem to be missing the the key. They seem to be missing the key that gets them to heaven, the key that, in a sense, opens the door to heaven. And, and the reason that a lot of people are missing this key is simply because they have some misunderstandings. They have some wrong information. So for a few minutes today, I want to try to correct some of those misunderstandings that we seem to have about how it is we get to heaven. Let's begin with this. Many people don't understand our own sinfulness. That's what the Bible calls it, our sinfulness. You see, God has a perfect plan for our lives. But the reality is, all of us at some point have chosen to go our own way, to do our own thing, to rebel against God's way, and to live life our way. The Bible describes this as sin, this rebellion against God. In fact, the, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Really clearly it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin, you see, it's this idea that we miss the mark, that we don't measure up to where we're supposed to be. It's sin that infiltrates our lives. Every one of us has missed the mark. The Bible says there are two kinds of sin. Sins of omission, things that we know we should do but we don't do. And sins of commission, things we know we should not do but we do them anyway. Well, let me illustrate those. A, a sin of omission might be a, a boy, you see a boy at Circle K and he's stealing a candy bar and you don't say a thing. 
A sin of commission is you wait for the little boy outside the Circle K, and when he gets out there, you take the candy bar for yourself. A sin of omission would be that you see your sister's diary lying on the kitchen counter open for everyone to read it, and you don't do anything about it. A sin of commission might be that you publish uh, her diary on the website uh, with all the information that's there. A sin of omission might be that when you see the offering basket pass this morning, you didn't put your tithe in there. A sin of commission would be you stole $20 from the offering basket. A sin of omission might be you forget to get your wife flowers on Valentine's Day. I'm not sure that's really a sin, but you'll get the point. You, 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 but a sin of commission would be that you get her a mop and a bucket for Valentine's Day and say, please use this wisely. A sin of omission would be to forget to go to your husband's funeral. A sin of commission would be that your husband died of wounds inflicted by a mop and a bucket. Now, it's easy to joke about sin, but it's really serious. You see, when we rebel against God, when we don't measure up to His standard, it's serious. And here's why it's serious. Because there will come a judgment day. There will be a day when we stand before God. And we have to make an explanation for the choices that we make. And you know what? When we stand before God on that day, we will all stand on morally level ground. You, me, Charles Manson, Jeffrey Dahmer, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, we will all stand on level ground before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we may not sin equally, but the consequences of sin are equal for everyone. Which brings us to a second misunderstanding that we often have. We often misunderstand the standard by which we will be judged. If I were to ask people today, if I just went out on the street and began to ask people, what do you think the chances are you're going to go to heaven? Some might say, well, it's about 50-50. Others would say, I think it's 80-20 in my favor. The problem is we have this tendency to compare ourselves to other people. We might compare ourselves to our neighbor. Or maybe you compare yourself to that murderer that you saw on TV. Maybe you're comparing yourself to the person sitting next to you right now. In fact, you know, go ahead and look at them. You're better than them, right? We have this tendency to compare ourselves, but that's not the standard. The standard is God's perfection. You see... The way I live my life, whether or not I have a relationship with a perfect God, whether or not I get into a perfect heaven, the standard is perfection. Not, oh, I'm pretty good. Not, oh, I'm good. Not, oh, even I'm really good. The standard is perfection. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I kind of keep track of what's going on. And, you know, I have this amazing thing to me about baseball is that if a guy bats 300, people consider that really good. He gets paid millions of dollars for batting 300. That means that only one out of every three or four times that he comes to the plate does he actually get a hit. Now, if you and I had that kind of success rate in our jobs, do you think they'd be paying us millions? You know, if I got up here and, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't use this as an example. If I got up here and only one out of four weeks it was worth listening to, my son would say, well, that's true, Dad. In fact, it's not quite that good. You know, there's a big gap there, isn't it, between batting 300 and perfection? 
And maybe we look at our lives and say, you know, I'm not sure I even bat 300 most of the time in life. There's no way I can live to this standard of perfection that I can bat a thousand. That, that's not realistic. That's, that's extreme. How could God possibly expect that of me? Well, here's what you need to understand. God is perfect. And heaven is a perfect place. And any kind of contact with something that is imperfect mars perfection. Look at this glass of water, which is just water. What happens when I put even just one drop of coloring in that? Before long, it infiltrates all of it. And the perfection of the clarity of that water is marred by one drop. And if God has anything to do with something that is imperfect, it mars His perfection. And so He says the standard is pretty high. Now, I know what some people's response to that is. Well, if the standard is that high, then forget it because I can never live up to that and God is being totally unreasonable. I knew this whole thing about being a Christ follower and this, all this stuff about church and God. It's so unrealistic. See, the problem is, a lot of us have another misunderstanding. We misunderstand God's offer to us. God has made an incredible offer of grace to us. All of us uh, in life, we have sort of a sheet, I guess you could say. And we might just write at the top of here my name. And this sheet could be divided into two columns. And over here we could write all of the bad things that I have done in life. And on this other side it would be all the good things that Jeff has done. And this would kind of represent Jeff's life. And, and over here on the good side we could write some things. You know, uh, I was a pretty obedient boy as a child and so I might get some credit for that. And um, I think my wife would tell you at least most days, you know, I'm a pretty considerate husband and maybe so I'd get some credit for that. And um, I think I ought to get credit for uh, being Dan Jeffrey's friend. Dan needs a friend, and I ought to get credit for that. And so we'd write that down. And uh, probably ought to get some credit. I could get some credit from God by being the leader and starting a church plant. You know, I ought to get some credit from that. And we'd go through, and, and I have some list of things on my good side. But the other reality is that I'm also guilty of sin. And so we'd have to write over here that I, I have told some lies in my life. And there have been some instances in my life when I have been filled with pride. And there have been times in life that you could probably just say I was a real jerk. There have been times when I could go on and list a lot of things. In fact, the truth is I could probably fill pages that would describe the things that I have done wrong in life. And uh, someday I'm going to stand before God. And God is going to say, Jeff, why should I let you into my perfect heaven? And I'll have my sheet to show him. And I can hand that to him. And he might look at it and say, well, I, I see this one side, there's a lot of good things that you've done, Jeff. I'm really proud of you. But what about this other side? And I might protest or you might protest and say, but hey, I was a Girl Scout. You know, I sold lots of thin mints. But God, I did this. And God would say, yeah, what about this other side? All of these bad things. What are we going to do about that? You know what? 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked on this earth. For 33 years He was here. And during His time, Jesus had a sheet. And for Jesus, it worked the same way on one side 
He wrote down all the good. And you have a side to write down all the bad things that he might have done. And on this side of the good, you know, we can make a long list. He had compassion. He healed. He laughs at my terrible jokes. Well, that was not actually true, but I think he would. You know, and we have this whole list of good things that we've done. In fact, with Jesus, we could fill page after page after page of just things that he did that were good in 33 years. But what about this other side? What about Jesus' bad side? You know what? There, during his 33 years that he was here on earth, there was nothing that would be written over here. Jesus never sinned. In fact, some of his best friends who hung out with him are recorded as saying things like this in the Bible. In 1 John 3, John, who was one of his best buddies, spent lots and lots of time, would have, would have known if Jesus had sinned, said this, and in him, or in Jesus, there is no sin. Another of his good buddies, Peter, writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And so Jesus is absolutely perfect. And here's God's offer to us as we stand before Him. Here is His grace as we stand before Him. God offers us, despite our rebelliousness, despite the fact that we have chosen to go our own way, God says, I love you anyway, and here's the offer I want to make to you. Here's the gift that I want to give you. I'll switch sheets. Jesus' sheet for your sheet. And Jesus has already gone to the cross and He has died to pay the penalty of all the bad that any of us have ever done. And God says, I want to let you switch places with Him. Now, isn't that the most incredible offer you have ever heard? That's grace. That is a gift that we don't deserve. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. All you can do is accept it. And how do you accept it? It's very practical. It's a matter of surrender. It's about surrender. You see, for our whole lives, we have kind of been running our own way, doing our own thing, rebelling against God's plan, making our own choices. It's as if we've kind of built our own fort and said, God, I'm just going to stay right in here. And God says to us, it's time to come out with your hands up and surrender. Surrender to my love. Surrender to my leadership. Surrender your life to me. And if you'll do that, we'll swap sheets between you and Jesus. And all of the bad from our life, erased. Gone. Now what does that surrender look like in practical terms? Three or four things. First, it begins by surrendering mentally. Believing in God. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. It is about placing my trust, my faith in Jesus. Secondly, it involves surrendering verbally through confession. Now, I don't know what your background is, but we're not talking about the kind of confession where you go in a little booth and you tell the priest all the things that you've done wrong in life. No, this is a confession to God Himself, and to other people. Confessing and acknowledging that you believe in God, that you believe that Jesus is His Son. A confession that you desire to follow Him for the rest of your life. It's about surrendering your will through repentance. You see, 
for so long in all of our lives, we've had this time before we knew Jesus where we were, we're going in our own direction. We're going in the opposite direction of God. And surrendering your will is about turning your life around and saying, I'm not going to run my own way anymore. I'm going to run after the things of God. Now, will I get it perfect? No. But that's the direction my life is going to go and I'm going to pursue the things of God. And then it's about surrender physically through baptism. You see, there were some people in the New Testament times who, who had this faith, who had a belief in God, and they asked Peter one day, what are we supposed to do about this? And this was Peter's response in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, repent. That surrendering of your will, turning the direction of your life. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, what are you supposed to do about that faith? You repent, and you be baptized. And what happens? Your sins are forgiven. Baptism is a wonderful thing. It's about being buried in water, just as Jesus was buried in the grave, and it symbolizes burying that rebellious life that you've been living, that do-your-own-thing, where we kept just adding to the list of bad things in our lives. It's about burying that. And then rising up out of that water just as Jesus raised from the dead with a new life, a new surrendered life to God. It is an incredible thing. It is an incredible gift that God has offered to every one of us. And here's the thing. Here's the incredible thing. It's available right now, today. I don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. I don't have to try to earn my way to be good enough to get it. I can have it right now, today, by simply saying to God, I surrender. I surrender to Your love. I surrender to Your leadership. I acknowledge that I need You in my life. And I'm taking that step across the line to follow You. And you know what I know this morning? There are some people in this room that need to do that. In fact, I'm pretty confident there are some of you that are here on a regular basis and you just fight it every time the opportunity comes. There are some of you, maybe this is the first time you ever walked in the door. And I believe if that's the case, God brought you here today because He knew you needed to have a relationship with His Son. Today can be the day. Let me pray for us. God, I think this is an incredible gift that You have given. And God, I'm so thankful for the moment in my life when I surrendered. When I surrendered my life to Your leadership and to Your love and I began to follow You. Because God, since that moment, my life has been filled with hope and peace even in the midst of very difficult days, You have always been with me. And Father, I live in the hope of spending eternity in heaven. I know what the key is. The key is relationship with Jesus Christ. God, thank You for what You've done. And God, I pray right now for the people in this room who need to step across the line today. God, I pray 
that whatever obstacles they think are standing in their way through your spirit right now, God, you would just remove those obstacles. God, their heart is beating fast right now. God, give them the courage to step out and say, I surrender. God, do something special in these next few moments. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.